the two girls we were buying it for, they had lots of dolls and books and they needed a place to put them. So we'd actually talked about getting them some shelving. So, you know, in our minds, this is, it all makes sense. Uh, but, you know, Christmas morning came and the girls saw that big impressive box under the tree. So they, you know, with enthusiasm and excitement, they're tearing that stuff off. And, you know, they're looking at this present and, you know, the enthusiasm starts tapering off to disappointment and then to outright, really, indignation, holy indignation. And we are just at a loss as to grasp what is going on here. So we said, honey, you see, I'm careful not to use any names here. Honey, what's wrong? And one little girl's response is this. She said, Dad, it's like you gave me a block of wood and said, go to your bedroom and get a spanking. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Uh, For these little gals, there was this uh, expectation for the Christmas presents. And what they got, of course, did not fit in at all with that expectation. Now, I should say, that uh, we got those two girls another gift that they considered acceptable for Christmas. But we kept those bookshelves and we assembled them and Kathy painted them up. And later, they became highly desirable by the other two sisters who are using them to this day. So initially, this present looks like something I'm not interested in at all. Afterwards, though, it turns out to be something that's considered valuable indeed. Now, you guys know Christmas presents, birthday presents, anniversary presents, any kind of gift-giving time you think of, or career choices, life choices, etc. Oftentimes, the gifts that you and I get or the things that come our way in life are not what we thought we wanted. But oftentimes, in God's providence, those things turn out to be the things that are the most valuable of all. The girls didn't think those bookshelves were too valuable initially, but later, given some time and some transformation, maybe a different perspective, they become very valuable. And oftentimes in our lives, if you haven't seen this already, you will. The gifts God gives or the things he causes or allows in your life or the people he brings into your life sometimes are not valued at the time and it's only later that you can see their value. This is going to be a little bit of a meandering message, but stick with me this morning. In Acts 7, when Stephen is arrested by the Jewish Sanhedrin and he's brought before them because he's a Christian and signs and miracles are being performed in Jesus' name through him, he's got to defend himself to the Jewish leaders. And he has this, by by New Testament accounts, it's a rambling account, basically, of the history of Israel, but really it's a short, it's a brief history of the nation of Israel with a key point, and Stephen's point to the leaders in his day was this. Anytime God sends you a present, a gift, if you will, in the person of a deliverer or a savior, you reject them. You don't see their value and you reject them. So for instance, Stephen says in Acts 7 verse 9, Joseph, the patriarch Joseph, Stephen says, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him. 
and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. If you remember, Joseph was the despised brother, despised because Jacob preferred him, gave him the coat of many colors. His brothers hated him because of this, sold him into slavery in Egypt. They didn't know that Joseph really was God's deliverer for them. Now Joseph says in Genesis 50 verse 20, after Jacob has died, all of his siblings have been saved, all of their children have been saved. Remember that salvation in the Genesis account is the famine that's taking place throughout all the Middle East. So Joseph's a leader in Egypt, so he's free to invite Jacob and all his sons and all his grandsons, all his relatives, down to Egypt to be delivered. The brothers are afraid after Joseph's death that Joseph will now turn around and take vengeance on them. But Joseph says this, You meant evil against me. God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph was God's gift to the patriarchs, but they didn't know that. And Joseph was the deliverer God intended to save them, but they didn't realize that either. And it was only after the fact that they could see Joseph's value. We're alive, our children are alive, we have food for the famine years ahead because God provided a deliverer in the person of Joseph, the brother we despised and sold into slavery before. Joseph's one example, Stephen says, but he goes on and shows that Moses was out of the same cloth with the same results. Stephen says in Acts 7, verse 25 and 27, Moses supposed that his brothers understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they didn't understand. But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed Moses away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? If you remember, Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh. He's a man of prominence and power. And when he goes out and sees two men fighting with each other, he strikes one down. And he thinks that they'll understand that God's going to use him to deliver the Jews from bondage in Egypt. But what the guy says the next day is, who made you a ruler over us? Later in Exodus 14, 31, you read this, when Israel saw the great power, by the way, this is, they're out of Egypt. This is uh, more than 40 years later. It's more than 10 miracles later. It's miracles in the deserts. It's the parting of the Red Sea, etc. All of this later, Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. Moses' initial reception is, Who made you a ruler over us? Who do you think you are? It's only decades later, miracles later, deliverance from Egypt later, that it says they believed in God's servant Moses. In other words, here are two historical figures that the nation now recognizes as God's appointed saviors, and delivers for the nation. They value them in hindsight, but at the time they were given, Steve says, Stephen says, the nation rejected them, despised them. Fast forward up to the first Christmas. You know, if the Exodus is around 1400 B.C., fast forward up to around, who knows, 0 to 6 B.C. or so. The first Christmas, the nation of Israel... They don't know this is the first Christmas at the time, of course. But the nation of Israel at this time, when they're thinking of a deliverer, a Messiah, God's anointed one, His anointed deliverer who would come in and bring salvation, redemption to them, they're thinking about somebody who sits on a horse, a king with an army who's going to kick out the Romans. 
That's their expectation. He's going to be a king. He's going to be high and mighty, powerful army. He's going to come in and deliver the nation from Roman oppression. Instead, of course, what they got was what was assumed to be an illegitimate little boy from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, he's known, many people didn't know later in his life that he was born in Bethlehem, of course. They just knew he was from Galilee, and Galilee was the wrong side of the tracks. Galilee was up near the Gentile areas. It was the despised part of the nation. Israel's expectation was that God would send a king from the tribe of Judah because Jacob had said the ruler for Israel would come from Judah, Genesis 49.10. And they expected, you know from the Christmas stories, that he'd come from Bethlehem because Micah 5.2 said that he would. But the expectation with that was that he would come from the city of David. He'd be like David, a physically attractive and a great warrior. So he'd kick them out, kick those Romans out. He'd deliver Israel. This is the expectation they had. Now, of course, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, and he was born in Bethlehem. But even if people knew that, as his life progressed, as the Christmas present is unwrapped, as people get to know him and his message as he grows up, he is not at all what they were hoping for. He's a gift that they would just as soon take back to the return desk. Jesus is not what they're after. When our oldest daughter, Rachel, was one or two, uh, we found out we were pregnant again. And then sonograms, you know, we we knew that this uh, next child was a girl. So it's us and Rachel and another baby's coming. And, you know, like good parents, we're being thoughtful. We think, okay... We don't want Rachel to feel threatened by a new baby. And so we told her, uh, we're going to have a new baby, and you're going to have a new friend and a playmate. And so Rachel gets excitement and enthusiasm about the thought of not a baby so much, but a friend and a playmate. So we've sold her on the idea. She's good to go. She's waiting for little Bethany to come along. And then, of course, Bethany comes along, and and you can probably figure out what happens. A little baby lies around, (laughs) eating, filling her diapers, not much use as a playmate. And Rachel's enthusiasm, just like another daughter's about Christmas, just slowly goes down, you know. She realizes she's been ripped off because this is not her expectation about a friend and a playmate. Now, of course, given a few years... Little Miss Bethany grows up and becomes exactly the kind of friend and playmate Rachel was hoping for, but not initially. Initially, I I think this is what I'm getting, and what I get doesn't look like that at all. I'm not happy. I'm not pleased. Only later, a little time, a little growth, a little development, only later does the gift become valuable to Rachel because then she sees its value. And I'm thinking of Charlie Brown here, too, You know, in Charlie Brown's Christmas story, Charlie Brown is sent out to get the Christmas tree for the play cast, right? And so Charlie Brown, being who and what he is, goes out and gets the most unlikely of Christmas trees. He gets the scrawny little drooping variety, right? And he brings it back with his enthusiasm, shows the kids his version of a Christmas tree, and they mock him and scorn the tree, right? And then it's only later when the tree is propped up with Linus's blanket and Snoopy's doghouse decorations are on it that then suddenly the tree has value because then they can see maybe what Charlie Brown saw all along, the value of that Christmas tree. But initially, not that at all. Only afterward 
in hindsight. Sometimes, in fact, probably oftentimes, it takes time and perhaps uh, a refined or a more informed perspective to see the value or the beauty of a Christmas tree, a Christmas gift, or a Christmas Savior. Think about this if you're a Jew in the days in which Jesus is born into and you're waiting for a deliverer, for a Savior, for a Messiah. God's Christmas gift in the person of Christ does not fit your hopes or your expectations. God's gift in Christ was not a conqueror on a war horse, but it was a carpenter on a little donkey. I mean, you talk about blowing images and blowing expectations. Jesus couldn't have done it more thoroughly. God's gift in Christ was not a handsome politician, but a homely rabble-rouser. You know, all the Western art aside, the Scripture is clear, Jesus was not physically attractive. God's gift in Christ was not a motivational speaker telling Jews to achieve their best selves, but a prophet pointing his finger at their deficiencies. And God's gift in Christ was not a shiny toy or car. It was a bloody baby destined to become a bloody sacrifice. That was God's Christmas gift to the world. The value of God's gift in Christ in the incarnation can only be seen through the perspective or the lens of the crucifixion and the resurrection. If my expectation as a Jew is for a deliverer, Jesus is not a deliverer. My life's the same before and after he comes because I'm still under Roman rule. The value of the incarnation is only apparent if God is after more than saving Israel from the time. It's only apparent if God's after the salvation of the world through the forgiveness of sins. So the incarnation, if you're a Jew, makes no sense whatsoever. God's Christmas gift to Israel does not appear valuable because they don't know what God is after at the time. That Christmas baby looked like a second-rate gift, maybe like a block of wood, instead of a good Christmas present. Now, uh, 2,000 years ago, most people did not recognize the value of that first Christmas present, but a few did, and it's because they knew the value of the gift. They knew what God was after. So, think of this, or they at least, they had an inkling anyway. Uh, The wise men, they saw the value of that baby in the manger. So wise men knew by a star in the heavens that God had sent a special king to Israel. And so they came and they brought objects worthy of gifts to a king and they worshipped that little baby. So they brought gold. That was an appropriate gift for a king, certainly, the wealth of gold. They brought frankincense, which was a very costly uh, object used in perfume as well and typically used with offerings in the temple. So we could say it was a gift fit for a priest as well. The third gift they brought, of course, was expensive. Myrrh was an expensive spice. It was a little unusual because it was typically used in burials. So here's a gift typically related to death given at the birth of a king. And obviously there's a prophetic issue there. But wise men knew the value of the baby because they'd seen his star and they knew this was a gift from heaven to Israel. A man who met an angel in the temple, he also knew the gift of that first Christmas, its value. He said this, Zacharias did in Luke 1, 67 through 77, and I'm editing here. John the Baptist's father said this, 
Filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited us and accomplished redemption. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. You, child, his baby John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord, before God, and prepare his ways to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Zacharias knew that his son was important because he was proclaiming God's deliverer. And the deliverer wasn't just about Romans and geography. It was about the forgiveness of sins. And, an, and angels knew the value of that first Christmas present, Luke 2, quoted by Linus and Charlie Brown. An angel said to frightened shepherds, keeping their flocks at night, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ, who is Messiah, the Lord. That's the key for the Jews. You're waiting for the Messiah. Here He is. He's a Savior. Your Savior is born. The Messiah has been born for you today. Rejoice. Those who saw the value at the time the gift was given were the ones who understood that mankind's greatest need was deliverance from sin. And God was providing the best gift possible at the cost of His own Son. The only thing that allowed these folks to have a right apprehension of the value of the gift was they understood the need. The need wasn't just deliverance from an oppressing army. It wasn't just getting some territory that we used to have. It was the deliverance from their own sin. That gave them a value and an estimate of the value of the gift God was giving that first Christmas. It wasn't just a baby that was born in Bethlehem. It was a Savior. And it wasn't just a military or political Savior, which was the expectation of the nation, but it was a Savior that was born as a sacrifice for sins. We're in the Christmas season and you guys are going to be thinking about gifts, I'm sure. Maybe some of us have been buying gifts all year. There's high expectations for this time of year, certainly. As you go into the Christmas season, as you're buying gifts, receiving gifts, as you're setting tables and preparing large banquets, think about this and think about the gifts God gives you this season or a little later or that you already have. And by gifts, I mean this, anything that God has caused or allowed to be in your life today. Anything that God has caused or allowed to be in your life or is this Christmas season, think of in the terms of a gift. God's omnipotent. There's nothing that occurs. There's no event that occurs. There's no person that enters your life. There's no person who leaves your life. All these things happen by God's sovereignty. He either causes them or allows them. So, Look at your life this Christmas season as a series of gifts from God. So, maybe you wanted to be married, but you're single. That's God's gift to you at this point. Or maybe you're, you're, uh, you're married now and you want to be single again, but you're not. That's God's Christmas gift to you as well. You wanted good health and you have sickness You wanted to be beautiful, but you're plain. 
or you wanted to be handsome and you're just average. Or you look at your life and thought you'd be more important or more significant and you realize you occupy a relatively small role in the wider world after all and you're not well known. Maybe you wanted money to buy the best gifts for others you care about this Christmas and all you can afford are bookshelves. Whatever you have in life, choose to see this Christmas as God's Christmas present to you. And if you do that, if you, choose your pers- if you choose to change your perspective and say, maybe you'd say this, God, I don't know how this is a benefit or a gift from you, but I choose to believe with the eyes of faith that in your hands you'll take this thing that I wouldn't value otherwise and you'll turn it around for good in my life. And if God's true and he can't lie, Romans 8 says he'll take anything that's a part of your life and he'll use it for good. So even if you've got some element in your life today that you'd say doesn't look like much of a Christmas gift to me, you can choose to believe that God will turn it around and use it for your good. And by the way, this doesn't have to be anything that's inherently good. Christ was inherently valuable because of who and what he was. But if someone hates you or rejects you in God's hand, those become gifts because he says he'll take all those elements. He took the malice and the hatred against Christ and uses it as a means of glorifying his son later. Even if the gifts you receive include malice and rejection, God can and does take even those things and turn them around to your blessing. I'm going to close this morning with a text that's certainly not normally considered a Christmas story text. But as we read through this passage in Isaiah, think about a Christmas gift that is initially rejected and despised, but only later is valued because only later could you see the value of that gift. And as we read through this text this morning and in preparation for the Lord's Supper a little later in the open worship, think of that first Christmas gift to the world and maybe the ways in which we in our time maybe don't value that first Christmas gift or don't value the other gifts in our life that God's given us now, but maybe do later. Maybe perspective allows us to value what God is giving us. This is from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The world is happy to celebrate a baby in a manger that's cute and cuddly, but makes no demands but not a sacrifice for sin, a lamb destined for the altar whose very presence is an indictment on us and a reminder of our guilt. The incarnation has absolutely no value apart from the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's the crucifixion and the resurrection that make the incarnation valuable. This Christmas, remember that the gifts God gives in this life are perfect, whether it appears so at the time or not. And as you remember the soft baby lying in a manger, don't forget that baby became a scourged and crucified man of sorrows to cover your sin and mine. Father, thanks that you didn't give Israel and didn't give this world the kind of gifts that they thought they wanted. You gave something better. You gave them yourself. And Lord, in giving them yourself, you gave them an atonement for sin, the ultimate in redemption, the ultimate in deliverance. Father, not just Israel, but the world, and we have a tendency to despise the gifts you give and the leaders and deliverers you send. Lord, help us to humbly embrace your Son, the Lord Jesus. Help us to value Him as you do. Lord, thanks now, thanks forever that you sent a Savior to cover our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. Given the ultimate gift, eternal life, those who will see you and live with you forever because Jesus became a baby, because he became a man of sorrows, because he took our sins on himself and offered himself for our salvation. Father, this Christmas season and in these lives, help us to just say thank you for the, the offering and the gift that was your son that Christmas and today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.